Bill said the church built its own ritual of Pentecost on the Jewish holiday of the Feast of Sukkot. That feast was 50 days after Passover, and just as so is Pentecost 50 days after Easter, hence Pentecost. And in that feast for the Jewish customs, they also celebrated the giving of the law from God to Moses. And we as the church celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit from God to us, the people. It turns out that after Jesus was resurrected, he made some extraordinary visitation experiences to his disciples, and then, according to Luke at least, he ascended. At that point, they were left alone, waiting for who knows what. Jesus had promised them things, but they didn't know what to expect. And so they were gathered in an upper room, 120 of them. And they did normal Presbyterian things, decently and in order. They needed to replace Judas, and so they elected Matthias by the casting of lots, which was basically throwing the die to see which one would come up the highest. Now, Presbyterians don't always make decisions that way, but sometimes that might not be a bad way for us to make some decisions. As they were going about their business in prayer and thanksgiving, the text begins in the first verse of the second chapter about what happened next. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya containing belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They're filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we admit it's risky doing this jazz Sunday at Pentecost. I mean, we actually have real drums in the sanctuary. And we know for Riverside, it's written, we actually have real drums over there, by the way, timpani drums that we've used before, so it's not that much of a push. But we realize it's, it's risky. Now, like a friend of mine who did a jazz vesper service one time, and the woman in the back stood up and screamed out, I will not be crooned by lounge singers in my worship service, and stormed out. 
In fact, Dwight and Hans were laughing in the back when the band started its prelude. Hans says, maybe I should just go ahead and get the offering plate and hold it here so that if they leave early, at least they can put in an offering. <laughs> Admittedly, I mean, jazz and New England Church seem to be on two sides of track. In fact, jazz in the 1920s developed a reputation for being barroom immoral, which led to Professor Henry Van Dyke from that great Presbyterian, decently in an order school of Princeton, to say, it's merely an irritation of the nerves of hearing, a sensual teasing of the strings of physical passion. What does he know? Another friend of mine, when having a jazz service one Sunday morning, got the band ready, and as they were going to practice at 10 o'clock before the 11 o'clock service, there was no drummer. So the preacher immediately went to the phone and called him up. The drummer answered it groggily. Hello? Where are you? What do you mean? We're starting to practice. You said 10 o'clock. I thought you meant at night. <laughs> For Presbyterians, we are buttoned down and a little bit scared of the sort of free-flowing spiritual movement that might actually cause us to applaud. We did three times today. Now, I'm not saying that should be a standard in church, for we worship, not are entertained. And in worship, applause may not be necessary, but when we are moved by the Spirit, sometimes we can't help ourselves. I was talking to some friends of mine about what the best musical form was for Pentecost, and we talked about classical, and we talked about rock and roll, and we talked about all the other forms, and we all agreed that maybe jazz was the best, because it was, in fact, born out of the church. And it was also born out of great pain and darkness. When the African slaves were brought over and they had to keep a beat on their shoulders because they were not allowed to have drums from Africa and they would sing the blues about how alone they were in this new land and how enslaved they were in their new captivity. And that blues began to evolve into something that would later become jazz. And jazz takes any number of different Variations. There are probably almost as many different jazz variations as there are denominations. So whatever side you're on, it still harkens back to that dark time of slavery that also grew out of the church. The other part about jazz we discovered is that it takes, I think at least, best jazz takes a band, a community of people who play together. Great definition of church each one with their own gift and their own instrument, in syncopation, yet each one also able to improvise or improv at the right time. Now, until three years ago, if you type improv into Word, it would not let you keep it. It spell-checked it to improve. Now it's part of the language of word, and it is part of our language too. We like jazz, we decided, because the life of faith is, in fact, 
much like improvisation. Now these guys that are playing for us don't get up and just start improvising. They've practiced, practiced, practiced. Because they've worked so hard at practicing, which is just like a life of faith, they are now able to improvise at the correct moment, the very moment. Speaking of moments, one night, Wynton Marsalis was tooting his horn in a jazz gathering, and everyone was enraptured and caught up by his incredible art until a cell phone went off in the congregation, or no, sorry, my bad, the audience. Everybody started, what was that? Wynton Marsalis put his horn down, stopped blowing, raised his eyebrows, and stared glaringly at the accused phone person. She finally got up and walked out. Everybody was chattering about what just happened. Marsalis picked up his horn and began to improvise note by note of the ring that was on the cell phone. And after he finished doing that gig, he worked his way right back around to the original melody that he had started. That, you see, is the life of faith. Because we are confronted with daily events that we do not expect that force us to have to improvise. Yet, in that process, we also work our way back to the melody of faith. That is the foundation upon which we stand. So, that's why I like jazz. Pentecost is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. We've heard the story here. Literally, a sound like the rush of a mighty wind. It's a metaphor. Like the rush of a mighty wind came in and blew the doors and windows open to this group of 120 people who were basically scared to death because they had no idea what they were going to do next. And then tongues as of fire came down and rested on them. Again, a metaphor, like tongues of fire. And out of that experience, they began to speak in ways that enabled everybody in Jerusalem from all over the world, the Medes and the Edomites and the Mesopotamians, the Phygeans. If you looked at the historical chronology of each one of these nations, you will discover that not only are they geographically diverse, they are historically diverse over a 2,000 year range, some of them now extinct, which the point being, Luke is making, even those extinct nations are part of this experience of Pentecost because it's all about now going out into the world, including all the people of God, into the blessing of God's love, not just the chosen people who had gathered in that room. As you read the book of Acts, you will see that that group of disciples continued to go out and to stretch and expand about who was included. Only the circumcised? No, even the uncircumcised. Only those who eat pure ritual food? No, even those who don't. Everyone included in this circle of the Holy Spirit. And it takes a powerful spirit to move a congregation to do that. I have a friend uh, who went to uh, a New Age church uh, because her niece was being named. They don't have baptisms in this church. They have naming 
ceremonies. And they gathered, the children and the youth gathered around a circle in this, it was a sanctuary, sort of fellowship hall sanctuary. They gathered around this lone candle in the middle. And, um, and the teacher or the preacher got up and, and said, okay, uh, guys, we've gathered around the magical mystery fairy flame. And we need you to say what good has happened in your week. And the youth and the young kids went around. We've done that stuff in the confirmation class. Give me a good thing and a not so good thing. They went around saying some of, you know, I didn't have to take a test. I thought we had a day off, whatever. I didn't have to do chores. And, and finally one youth said, this was a great week because this was the week I got my tongue pierced. Everybody kind of went, ooh. Then the guy sitting beside him says, this was a better week for me because I was the one that got to pierce it. At which point, this woman who was visiting son, feeling a bit uncomfortable, raised his hand and said, this was a great week for me because last Sunday I got to go to Sunday school and church. Leaving him feeling completely alienated from the rest of the people because they were going, ooh, you go to Sunday school and church. The point is, in this gathering of all these people, this little candle there, the magical mystery fairy flame, it too can be the Spirit of God if we don't tame it. And my sense is, this movement of this sort of spiritual uh, lifestyle out there, not that there's anything wrong with it, but this sort of, everybody now is spiritual but not religious, seems to me like taming it, neutering it, containing it into something that's, that's manageable. But if you look at this text, ain't nothing manageable about the wind coming in and blowing those disciples out the door so that everybody there now can hear them in a new way. It's unmanageable. They were out of control instead of the control of God through the Holy Spirit. Do we move out or do we stay shut? Do we embrace those not like us, or do we only connect to those we're familiar with? Do we go out into the world, or do we close our doors from the world? A man who was dying of AIDS came to see me in Atlanta, sat down in my office and asked if I would have a prayer of forgiveness for him. What do you need forgiveness for, I asked. I'm dying of AIDS, what do you think? And? explained to me how he got it. We had a prayer. And then I said to him, would you be interested in coming to church? Church? Are you serious? Nobody in church would let me in. You might be surprised, I said. And he did. And we did. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us let that Spirit move among us as it moved among those first disciples and drive us to do the will and the way of God and Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us bring forth the gifts of our lives and our labors.